Hi, I'm Mark Crow. I'm the uh, the research and evaluation lead for Wi-Fi Work for Humankind. Hi, I'm Eve. I'm the data peer research and research analyst for Wi-Fi Humankind. I'm Mers. I'm co-production worker for Wi-Fi. Thanks. And uh, we've all been involved in producing a new report that looks specifically at the experiences of young people uh, on Wi-Fi and also the experiences of parents. Uh, so this is a third of the reports that we've produced in uh, the final year, part of our legacy work. And the, uh, the other two were uh, around women and around offenders. And this element, uh, this report around young people's experiences uh, kind of overlaps with both those uh, reports to some extent, not least because young people may be both women and may be offenders as well. Uh, but we've tried to draw out some of the wider issues that impact on young people and some of the challenges, barriers and solutions that uh, we've explored on Wi-Fi along the way. And this piece of work uh, really came about because when we were looking at the sort of evaluation of the whole of Wi-Fi's work last year. One of the issues that really kind of kept cropping up was uh, Wi-Fi is great. Wi-Fi is successful at working with adults with complex needs. But when we've worked with, all, you know, if we were able to work with all the adults with complex needs, there would still be more people who had complex needs who were younger and coming on stream. So we've always had a uh, we've had a, an eye over the last year, eighteen months in particular, to what the future demand for fulfilling lives type project might be, and try to explore some of the issues that occur earlier on in people's lives that perhaps lead, or if unaddressed, lead to uh, more entrenched complex needs multiple disadvantage and, ex and multiple exclusions. So that's the, uh, that was really the kind of the driver for this work. And I think it's turned out to be quite timely in a way as um, we've been through nearly a year of lockdown. And one of the big issues that's really emerged out of lockdown has been the services, are, the, the need for services are, for young people in particular, uh, school children particularly being affected by COVID with school closures, uh, a, a greater degree of isolation, and also families to a greater extent have been in the spotlight as uh, the realisation of economic inequality uh, has dawned more generally, the use of food banks, uh, the use of local resilience and community groups has, has really started to focus policymakers' attention towards the needs of young people and the needs of young people in lockdown. There have been some other background areas of work, uh, national policy work that have been going on, not least a review of uh, children's care services that started in January this year, some further work about the way young people, particularly um, particularly young people from minority ethnic groups, 
are disproportionately affected by things like stop and search and involvement in the youth justice system. So they're kind of around and about. Also, in the last year, uh, again, perhaps more related to lockdown, the role of child and adolescent mental health services, CAMS as they know, uh, has come under the spotlight as well, particularly for the disproportionate lack of resources that they receive compared to to adult services and to physical health services. We've followed the, the same pattern in this report as previous reports. So we've looked at the literature that relates to children and young people with complex needs. And I think the first finding there was there was very little. There's a lot of literature about single service, services and young people, but not very much about young people who require multiple service interventions and the relationship between those interventions. Eve produced a literature review. Yeah, so the kinds of things that I was looking at were people um, and young people that were already facing multiple disadvantage. So Wi-Fi in a previous report in their um, 2019 briefings found that most people, most young people that became beneficiaries had already experienced unemployment, uh, living in poverty, adverse childhood experiences, which meant that they, they could have been uh, recognised earlier on in the system. So I was looking at groups of young people that may, may be easier to recognise um, as being at risk of uh, developing multiple disadvantage. And one of these groups was minority ethnic groups. And I think highlighting this was the COVID-19 situation, which showed how children from a disadvantage um, groups or minority ethnic groups have gone backwards in their schooling and lost on average three months of learning and then and this was from the March 2020 lockdown so this could have uh, grown even more. Uh, I also looked at care leavers the position that they're in that puts them at a disadvantage to their peers that may live in a better area. There, there are a couple of things there. I think the, the report, the most recent report is that um, children, the most disadvantaged children are now seven months behind. So here we are in uh, towards the end of February 2021 and they've lost nearly half a year's worth of schooling effectively. I think the point about ethnic minority groups and young people and also uh, young care leavers is that they are both overrepresented in the youth criminal justice system and their uh, young care leavers are also particularly overrepresented in the uh, homeless population as well and what is slight, what is intriguing certainly about young people from minority ethnic backgrounds is that although they're overrepresented in the criminal justice system they are not subsequently overrepresented in services to support people in the community having left the criminal justice and that remains um, an area for further research I think. The other areas that we'd identified in our uh, future demand briefing paper in June 19 were things like educational attainment, numbers of children with special educational needs, whether they were assessed or not assessed, the numbers of children in contact with the police who'd been 
either arrested or convicted, the number of children in care or who were subject to assessment under the CARE Act for support from social workers, things like under incidents, uh, the proportion of people who were underage drinkers, who were smoking or using drugs at an early age, teenage pregnancies. And those, those things kind of tie in very much with inequalities in the general population. Uh, those are, those are um, indicators that are used in the index of multiple deprivation, for example. Uh, so uh, there's perhaps not an enormous surprise to find that patterns of need follow the geography of, of deprivation to a great extent. So we then had a look at the data. So following the the pattern that we've done before, we start with a lit review. We then have a look at the data that Wi-Fi's collected over over six years. And that gives us a a pretty pretty solid evidence base for for some findings, for some initial findings that we, we then took out to stakeholders and colleagues to sort of sense check and see, see if it re- reflected sort of wider experience. So we found that we've got 823 cases with data to look at. 72 of those, uh, 72 individuals were between aged between 18 and 25, and a further 130 or so were parents. And then the rest we classed as a mainstream Wi-Fi group. So we were able to see if there were any kind of distinctions, any differences or patterns between those three groups. The reason we pulled parents out as a specific group was we'd been surprised to find so many parents in the Wi-Fi population. The programme, as it was originally designed in 2012-2013, was sort of implicitly targeted at older and single people who were rough sleeping and probably street drinking primarily. And it was quite surprising to see uh, just how many of those how many people on Wi-Fi actually claim child tax credits, which were used as a, as a proxy for parents. So we might not have captured all parents, but that was striking in itself and was uh, very much supported by the standard work on the population of people with multiple needs or severe multiple disadvantage, which was uh, a, a report called Hard Edges by uh, produced by the Lang Kelly Chase Foundation and written by uh, Glenn Bramley and Suzanne Fitzpatrick and colleagues at Harriet Watt University. Yeah, I think th- there's an element of parents doing better, but the, the children that they're affecting didn't the Bramley report also talk about the children that, that were affecting and how um, because of their experiences of their parents at multiple disadvantage, they were more likely to develop multiple disadvantages as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, so that's part of that kind of slightly complex picture. So despite parents well, th- doing better th- because having children, they're, they're still affecting their children. And the children are going un, uh, going unsupported. I think yeah. that's, the, that's the point, is that the services up to this point have tended to focus on, on the parent as client, not so much on the wider family and look to minimise the impact on, on children. Yeah, which would mean that, the children then don't enter the system um, Correct. when they're 
when their parents are getting better. Yeah, and the children at this probably at that point are starting to display some of the behaviours that become entrenched and then lead to their exclusions. I think the report builds on our other reports, especially the offending report, which talks a lot about the Lamy review. And recently um, we discussed a an article in The Guardian that was talking about um, the effects of COVID-19, which have been creating large delays for defendants. And so when young people are charged, they're charged as um, under 18. And then because of the delays of COVID-19, they're turning 18 and then being tried as adults. So that means that the young people have to wait months or years to be tried. Um, which means harsher results for them. And the report also talks about how nearly nine out of 10 of these children that are held in custody on remand in London are from minority ethnic groups, um, and 61% of these children are Black, which I think highlights the things that the Land Review discussed and how, and that was in 2017. And in 2020, they still haven't been implemented which also builds upon the fact that the government has started to not have as harsher consequences for young people who are in contact with the criminal justice system. But this has had a disproportionate effect on young minority ethnic groups. I think that's that's an interesting point about people turning 18 whilst awaiting trial, because it highlights one of the other findings that we've we picked up that several services types have a have a very rigid cutoff for child service children's services or young people services child and adult and adolescent mental health services for example the cutoff is 16 or 18 and you're then you're not then transferred directly into adult mental health services but you have to go through the process of referral and assessment again, almost as if you're a new entrant to mental health services altogether. And the kind of treatment protocols and the diagnostic element or the assessment element is completely different for uh, adults in mental health services compared to children. Well, the, the transition from childhood to adult services is always highlighted when you when we've looked at the care leavers and because they don't have that support it's highlighted the lack of support in that transition because they're estimated to represent 24% of the adult prison populations which i think just shows that the lack of support going into those services care services have not managed to achieve um, perhaps as good outcomes for young people as they, as it might do and certainly those transitions, that transition at age 18 is like a lot of the transitions that people with complex needs experience, that in that those transitions are not altogether smooth, uh, you know, in the same way that they're being released from prison or moving housing provider or being discharged from hospital. It's very difficult to maintain things like medication or other kinds of physical health treatment, mental health treatment, other forms of support, things that are just generally good for people as they make those transitions. Well, that also goes in in the fact that we found that parents were a lot better at accessing the physical health services when we looked at the deep dive 
in the Wi-Fi data. When we've been we've been really used to working with people as individuals, um, starting from a person-centered approach and, and working out with think services, you know, that have moved towards a more person-centered approach, uh, perhaps seeing more success. Just reflecting back on some of the research that I've done with this report and some of the others. Um, around offending and uh, reflecting on like young people, them as a younger person and um, the childhood and teenage years and stuff like that. And I think for some of them, although they, uh, for some of them, they enjoyed talking about it and uh, reflecting back and stuff like that. Some of them did find it challenging talking about it. Things that we didn't record that turned out to be really important. We didn't record in the data but turned out to be really important in the narrative were things like abusive relationships, uh, estrangement from parents and children, uh, loss of children into social social services care. The, the sort of there wasn't any help with the kind of trauma goes with that, or very very little sort of organised help. And the, the result was sort of self medic a lot of self-medicine for that kind of emotional hurt, that emotional trauma. Um we turn led to led to conflict with the criminal justice system. Uh, it led to drug use potentially, especially in the case of young people, led to cuckooing of their properties. And those those things they were seen the risk it was uh, when they there was some some you know kind of really stark and specific examples of the case notes just because you've removed and and i think that's services in terms of the recommendations i think that really we need a workforce uh, i think there needs to be like a health and social care workforce culture that really uses the principles of trauma-informed care and makes a kind of routine inquiries about childhood, you know, the, the client or the service user's childhood adversity that actually then leads to a better understanding of their vulnerabilities and their behaviours. It's the risk that's addressed, not the person's vulnerability. It really has to be swapped around. and We have to spend more time thinking about the vulnerability and less, less about managing their risk. Because in most cases, the low, certainly where the risk is reasonably low level, doing things like putting people on short sentences in prison is not helpful to their journey. It doesn't actually improve their outcomes. It doesn't save money and it doesn't improve outcomes in communities at the end of the day because people are released and as we've already said, that transition from prison to, to community is not necessarily well supported. When it's not well supported, individuals become chaotic and the communities, you know, the community suffers, not the services, uh, because they probably already barred the person from involvement. And that cycle just is just kind of reinforced. Actually having a multi-agency support package for people at an early stage in their their journey has got to be sort of an assumption that that's the right thing to do that's the key thing that we found with wi-fi if you if you address a number of 
problems together in a coordinated fashion, then you get success. If you if you just deal with one, then it isn't really dealt with because the others will then impact and cause that cause that first problem, the problem that you thought you'd solve to just flare up again. One of the things that we were really wanted to do was to try and get the voice of some young people in into this report in a, in a creative way. And we've worked with um, a group called Life Experience who um, do presentations, performances, workshops. To, to work, They've been working with a small group of uh, young people to really articulate the experience, the experiences they, they're going through really at the moment. Um, and it's, it is an extraordinary time to be trying. But they're coming together with, uh, with uh, a video that will accompany one of the presentations of the findings of this report which sort of tries sets things sets things from their perspective we look forward to seeing the work that life experience have, have done with with the group and uh, and to use that in our launch this has perhaps been the most significant piece of research that wi-fi has done because it's really it's about setting things off in a in a new direction and a next in the, in the really looking at the next steps that services and commissioners and leaders in West Yorkshire uh, need to think about in the coming years. So I'd like to thank the listeners for being with us on this on this journey uh, and my colleagues, even Mez, who've contributed uh, an enormous amount to not just to this report, but to all three of them. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.